Welcome to Seizure Salad, Fuster Cluck Epilepticus. A salty, slightly cynical conversation about epilepsy, neurological disorders, and occasional random tangents. Together, we explore the synaptic jolts that short-circuit one's world and the mental and emotional fallout that comes from them. And if that sounds heavy, don't worry, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And now, Seizure Salad with your host and electrostatic meat sack, Micah B. Sai. I was thinking today, we'll just kind of roll through, introduce you to uh, the audience and talk a little bit of, I, I think, mainly Major Pain, uh, the podcast and how it developed, and maybe touch on on your chronic undiagnosed illnesses. Yeah, right on. Sounds great. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, so we can touch on that. We'll touch on that. And if we have time, we can uh, even go into some of your other stuff on jessemercury.com. You do some great <laughs> stuff, dude. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, uh, man. That that website is very, very out of date. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, so is mine. Yeah. Um but but no, you have some you have some really cool stuff that I thank you. I, I, yeah. Congrats. No wonder major pain is so well produced. You have I've a practiced. lot of Yeah. <laughs> you've practiced at this, man. Yes, yeah. definitely. I've made well, probably thousands of hours of content. I I've never counted, but I it definitely absolutely hundreds. Maybe I've, maybe I've hit a thousand hours. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice, man. Well, it shows. It shows. I'm, Thank you. I'm definitely impressed, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Of course. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're rolling tape. Welcome. <laughs> welcome. It's Mike B-Side, your host, Electrostatic Meat Sack and Lab Rat. Not so much a lab rat ex exactly for the lab, but more of a rat for my own experiments now. We can get into that some other time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here with a really cool guest, Jesse Mercury, the producer and creator of the Major Pain podcast. We met because um, a mutual friend and somebody my listeners know pretty well by now, Rachel Duncan, great lady. And she was like, hey, you need to meet Jesse. And I, I'm sure she probably said the same thing on your end. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And and sure enough, man, we clicked. I actually, uh, I was a guest on Jesse's podcast, Major Pain, and we had a great conversation. We had Absolutely. a great conversation. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm probably going to share that too with my audience on my Facebook page, uh, Foster Clock Epilepticus, and spread the word. And definitely want to look at majorpainpodcast.com. That is the website to go to. So, Jesse, how are you today? I'm great. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's great to talk to you again. This is our, our third conversation in the last month, I'd say, since we were introduced. Yeah. It's awesome to see you again. Thank you, man. Thank you. And, and the feeling is mutual. We have so much in common. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Now, Jesse, almost your whole life, right? you've had undiagnosed chronic illnesses. And this is something that our family foster clock here, our listeners and, and fellow co-hosts can relate to greatly mm -hmm. because it is not uncommon at all for people to be misdiagnosed or even completely undiagnosed in the epilepsy community. In fact, I would go so far to say it's more uh, common than it is not. And so you have a, a real good view and feeling and sense of what that's like. Not a lot of people do. So, um, and it doesn't, listeners, you know this, it doesn't happen with just epilepsy. Most neurological conditions, 
uh, can point to a lot of things. And, and it depends on the doctor and the team that you're talking to as to how willing they are to look outside and think outside the box when it comes to, to your individual treatment and health. You, you mentioned something too in your bio about how your goal is to spread awareness, empathy, and community around experiences, not only with the misdiagnoses, but living in isolation because of those undiagnosed illnesses. And uh, this podcast, I've listened to some of your other episodes too. You, uh, you have some great guests on and it's, it's from all over the spectrum. You have really, really well thought out questions and statements and you're, you're like, your podcast is the opposite of this. I just fucking <laughs> turn on the mic and go for broke, right? That, that's how I started. You know, I, I started podcasting about science fiction and it was literally like invite my friends over so we could just talk about sci-fi. There was no structure. And I, I love that sort of freewheeling podcast style. But when I started Major Pain, I was really, really sick at the time. And my uh, brain was struggling to to freewheel, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I was at this place where it was really hard for me to, to have unstructured conversations in general at all, let alone host a podcast. So I made a really rigid structure for myself so that I could do it inside of my brain not functioning so well. Um, and and it ended up just working, you know? I never thought that I would make a, a structured podcast like that, but... Um, I really love it. I, I love having a sort of predictable nature to the format of the show because mm -hmm. the stories of each person that I talk to are so unpredictable that it makes for really, I think it makes for a really satisfying experience to listen to the show. You know, I, I obviously I'm a part of every episode because I'm conducting the interviews, but I listen to every episode when I do the editing and all that. And, and I, I'm always blown away by every single person who comes on the show, their stories living through chronic illness and disability, because I just thought that I was the only one for so long. You know, I mean, I, I knew that there was other people that were sick out there, but without knowing what my illness was for so long, I, I just felt like I was just kind of the only person who was undiagnosed, who didn't know what was going on. And then I start this podcast and realize that there's so many people out there, you know, and we're all like right next to each other, not looking each other in the eye, not talking to each other. Um, not realizing that this thing is happening to both of us, you know, but if we, if we sit down and talk about something that is stigmatized and we're trained to not talk about it, when we do talk about it, it can be incredibly cathartic and healing. Yes. I, I immediately, when you said that, that word popped into my mind, cathartic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great thing to experience. And, um, yeah, it's like a support group. It's a support group for people who feel on the fringe or on the outside to let them know that they're not alone. And the more we talk about it, the more I think people in society are going to learn that it, it's pretty fucking common. And, and especially this Western civilization, modern civilization, uh, can feed into these illnesses uh, like never before. Mm, wow. Yeah. That's, that's so true. That's really interesting. Like the mental health aspects, you know, and this is a, this is a touchy subject for me personally, because I think anyone who's been undiagnosed for any period of time will have a doctor tell them that it is just their body translating anxiety into a chronic illness. I know <laughs> I was told that um, I was diagnosed at one point with a conversion disorder, which 
you know, I was seeing this neurologist and she told me on the first appointment, she said, if I can't figure out what's wrong with you, then I'm going to diagnose you with a conversion disorder, which means that it is basically an anxiety disorder. So it was kind of oh. hang, hanging over me the whole time. Um, and, you know, that that's very anxiety inducing, you know? <laughs> right, right. Like, that'll make anyone anxious. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fuel to the fire with that diagnosis, right? Yeah, no kidding. And so... You know, it, it, it's touchy to talk about the role that mental health can play because medical gaslighting has caused me severe anxiety. You know, doctors yeah. telling me that this was all in my head. When I started my journey, I was certain that I had something wrong with me. And then I go to the doctors and they tell me that it's nothing. They tell me it's all in my head over and over and so many doctors. And after, you know, years of that, eventually I started to question my own sanity. You know, I started to question whether or not I had a, a anxiety disorder that was manifesting as a chronic illness. And, you know, you and I are talking at a really interesting point in my life where I, I'm still not diagnosed quite yet, but we have a potential diagnosis that wow. has completely changed my life. And I'm feeling so much better on medication for the first time that is working. I'm 38 Ooh. years old. My, my first issue started when I was in second grade. My first huge flare-up where I couldn't work for a whole year was when I was in my 20s, around like 23. And then up until a couple months ago, I had spent the last six years in a miserable flare-up where I could barely function. My functionality was declining the whole time. I, I haven't worked in over six years. And I was at the point where, you know, my, my, uh, I, I have like weird neurological issues uh -huh. where sometimes I'll go into like spasming fits and my legs will stop working or I can't get signals from my brain to my legs. My speech will slur. I, you know, I right. basically become kind of non-functional and my doctor just had no idea why and, and couldn't give me an answer. So, you know, when they can't give you an answer, they jump to anxiety. They jump to you are causing this with your own anxiety. And, and that's something that I was unprepared for. I think no one is prepared for that when they go to the doctor. Because you, you have to be ready to combat that with, well, you know, I've given that some thought. I, I'm in therapy. I've seen several, you know, behavioral psychiatrists who think that this is a medical condition. We've looked into this anxiety piece. And while I do recognize that there is anxiety involved in not having a diagnosis, I, I am confident that this is a medical issue. Um, so that's the language that I use now. And it just shuts that down, you know, whereas before I had, you know, I had no language around that. And, and yeah. it, like the doctor just ends the conversation by telling me I have anxiety and that's it. Um, but yeah, I mean, very recently, I, uh, I've been taking this regimen for uh, mast cell activation syndrome, which is a very rare disease that is not very well understood. Um, and I'm seeing an allergist who knows about it, which is rare enough just to find uh -huh. a doctor who's even aware of it. But he, he put me on all this medication. Um, he said, you know, the testing for this is really inaccurate. He tested me. It came back negative. But he said, your symptoms could potentially line up with this. And he, he's got me on all this medication and all of it is working. My energy has shot way up. My functionality is up. I was using a wheelchair for the last couple of years and Ooh. I'm now walking and even jogging. Um, so oh, yeah. it's, yeah, it's been crazy. And it's, it's just happened in the last couple of months. Um, you know, I'm at the point where it's like, Am I diagnosed? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, it's like the everything's looking good. It's leaning in that direction. And we're also looking at a secondary diagnosis of small fiber neuropathy, 
which is, a, I, I keep saying it's a very poorly named disease because <laughs> it is not what it sounds like. You know, when I say small fiber neuropathy, people think of peripheral neuropathy, which mm-hmm. I think people are very familiar with, but small fiber neuropathy actually can affect your, it's, it's a form of dysautonomia and it can affect how your body functions. It can cause strange issues like your legs not working, which I experienced. It can cause the hair to fall out of your legs, which I have experienced. Like the outside of both of my legs are now completely hairless. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm a relatively hairy guy. So that was a, a surprise. Um, so, but I'll, I'll show that to the doctor and they're just like, yeah, that's fuel for me thinking that you're crazy. You know, you don't have hair on your legs. That's nothing. Like, why are you bothering me with that? But I'm just trying to give them any clue that I can to figure out what's going on. And now it's like years later, find out that that is kind of a clue. Um, so I'm, I'm waiting to be tested for small fiber neuropathy. That has accurate testing. Uh, but for okay. mast cell activation syndrome, the, the testing is not accurate. So the test is really, does the, the regiment work? And it's very strict. Um, so I'm eating a low histamine. De- well, let me explain. Let me explain what mast cell activation syndrome is. Yeah. Uh, let, yeah. Me, let me back up and explain that. So, uh, mast cells, mast like the mast of a ship, uh, mast cells okay. are in everyone's body. They are a white blood cell and they are the type of cell that reacts when your body is exposed to allergens. So when you get bitten by a bug, your mast cells will release what's called mediators into your bloodstream. Uh-huh. Um, one, the most commonly known is histamine, but there are others like uh, okay. tryptase and a bunch of others that I don't know what they're called. Um, so that's what will release the stuff in your body that will make that uh, bug bite swell up if you're allergic to it. So uh-huh. in mast cell activation syndrome, your mast cells are just constantly releasing these mediators into your body for no reason. So oh. um, if you're exposed to a trigger or an allergen, that, that is your personal trigger, it will make it way worse. Uh, but it's just kind of in this state of like releasing these mediators and it can become toxic. So your body's basically like poisoning itself. Um, histamine is the one that I've looked into the most. And uh-huh. histamine is actually a neurotransmitter. So I've, I've, been looking at some, um, I've been looking at some scholarly articles about this where it says that having too much histamine in your body can actually inhibit your neurological function. Um, and for a while we thought I might actually have seizures because I would have these episodes where I'd be like relatively normal. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I fall down, I start twitching, I can't speak. Um, Mm. and you know, very classic sort of seizure like activity. Yeah. Uh, But I'm usually, I thought that's what I thought when you described it to me is, is the drop attack types instead of overcharging power surges, it's, it's like a power dump. Everything goes, Mm. And stops for a second. And yeah. Then, yeah. No movement. Those kind of drop attacks are kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from the generalized tonic clonics that people go through. Mm. So that had me curious. But your yeah. your the the explanation of the the histamines in the white blood cells. Okay, yeah, and that, I had the uh is it the E E K G or E no E E G, right? Right. E-E-G. With the probes on your head probes on the head yeah yeah so i had that during a a spasming fit and there was no seizure activity so we've been pretty sure for a long time that it wasn't epilepsy but we had no idea what it was and part of the reason for that is that the common presentation of mast cell activation syndrome is allergy symptoms it's like breaking out in hives or your face flushing or you know things that i wasn't having um, like watery eyes, runny nose, you know, uh, 
it, it's typically more allergy related. Like I interviewed someone on the podcast who has mast cell activation syndrome and she will get these like insane welts on her skin and they'll just like pop wow. up out of nowhere. Um, so it's very, it's, it, it can be like very debilitating with just those symptoms. But I was having all these crazy neurologic symptoms and you know, we couldn't figure out why. Um, but I finally got to see this allergist who says, you know, I see this happening with people with mast cell activation syndrome. There is research happening around this. It's not really there yet. The research isn't there yet. We don't understand this yet. I don't know why these medications are helping you so much, but if it's helping, and I've seen this with other patients like you, then I think that this is that we're on the right track. And I, I can just say from what it feels like to be inside my body, um, I haven't felt this good in years. I haven't had this kind of energy in years. You know, I, I thought... Like I thought I didn't really have, I, I, I never expected this to happen. You know, I, there was a part in, in the back of my mind, I always believed that it was possible. But uh-huh. after being so sick for so many years, like four years into my flare up, I started thinking to myself, okay, it's time to start, stop thinking about this flare up ending because I'm kind of waiting for it to end. And I've been, my whole life's been on hold. I haven't been working. Um, it's time to start living like this because I don't really have a choice. So, you know, I'd rather have a life like this than to wait for my life to start if I can ever get better. So that's about the time I decided to try using a wheelchair and that changed my life so much for the better. I mean, I I can't say enough good things about using a wheelchair. And it it allowed me to get back outside and start doing stuff again because my legs were so unstable for years, for like six Mm -hmm. years. I, I would, you know, I would try to go out and do things and my legs would stop working and I'd be stuck. And I need someone to carry me out or whatever. Like, even before my flare up started, this would happen on and off. And I remember being at work some days. I used to be a leasing agent at apartment buildings. People would come in to pick up their packages from the leasing office, and I couldn't stand up. And I'd have to like use my chair and roll over to the package room to grab them a package. And I couldn't explain why. And it would just, it was happening randomly and then more and more, you know. But I, I would have like good years in between these flare ups where I was relatively functional. And looking back now, I just feel so lucky that I've had those good years, you know, because I, I, I had a really big flare up in my 20s. Life came to a standstill. I was living down in San Diego. Couldn't work for a year. Um, you know, we, we thought before that it had something to do with uh, mold, which it, you know, it would make sense with this mast cell activation syndrome. That's my trigger is mold. But okay. throughout my childhood, I had always had really weird reactions to mold. Like starting all the way back in second grade, I was in a moldy classroom and I would just start to get dizzy and confused and my and blurred vision. And I didn't even remember this, but uh, I it was in my doctor's notes from second grade that I reported kind of kind of being unable to think straight, which I didn't even remember because, you know, I wasn't thinking straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so that happened in second grade. It happened again in high school. Um, I went to a really moldy high school and I actually had to switch high schools and then I got better. So it was a pattern throughout my early life where every time I'd get sick, we'd look for mold, find it, remove me from that environment and I'd get better. So I just thought I had a mold sensitivity up until my 20s. Right, um, right. Like a a severe one. Um, And in high school, you know, I, I, it was two years at this high school and by the end of it, I was barely functioning. I'm just so exhausted all the time. I wasn't having neurological symptoms yet. It was just like extreme fatigue um, Mm -hmm. to the point where just like I I couldn't do my homework after school. 
I couldn't like prepare food for myself. I was, you know, buying these like cookies from the, uh, from the vending machine at, on my high school campus just to have something to get me going because I'd like woken up too late to have breakfast that morning. And I, I have like amazing supportive parents who have always been by my side and helping me. I don't want to make it sound like my parents weren't feeding me or anything, but you know, this is high school when I, I can take care of myself more at that point. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was struggling to take care of myself and then switched high schools and just bounced right back almost immediately. So that's what we thought it was for a long time. And then in my 20s is when the neurological problems started. I, I ended up in the emergency room after playing racquetball one day, um, just like collapsed and, uh, you know, was like starting to have these twitching fits and tingling feelings in my right arm. Like I thought I was having a stroke or something. Yeah. Um, I went to the ER and they actually refused to see me. But I got so lucky because a friend of mine was working the intake at the ER, um, Ben. And he told the doctor, he's like, I know this guy and he's not faking. So they admitted me and they weren't going to. You know, Ben wow. told me after the fact, he's like, the doctors thought you, you know, you come in, you got this long hair, you got like rock and roll t-shirts on. They just think you were some, like took some bad drugs or something. Yeah, you got too high. Go, yeah. go home. Yeah, it'll, <laughs> it'll pass. They're just always looking for reasons to not take you seriously, you know? Right. Um, but it's because they're busy. You know, they, they got a lot to do. And you have to, you have to impress upon them that you have a serious problem and need to be taken seriously. And that's what, what took me decades to learn. So, yeah, I mean, this was my, like, tw 23-ish, like, early 20s. I'm 38 mm. now when, when this big flare-up happened. And um, it was just an instant mystery. We did an MRI. Everything was clean. All the tests they could think of, everything was clean. And then it's just like, okay, well, you know, sorry, go home. And I go to my primary care physician and tell him what's going on. And I've been seeing him since I was a kid and he's, he was amazing. Um, and he always believed me and he just started sending me to specialists. And I couldn't get more than two appointments with any specialists because they'd run a couple tests. It'd be normal. They'd send me home. Um, yeah. And it, it became like really aggravating, but I was so out of it that I barely knew what was happening, you know? And Damn. like my my mom is driving me to all these appointments and my girlfriend at the time was taking care of me. And, uh, you know, I, I my, sent my dog to go live with my parents for, for a few months because I just couldn't take care of him, let alone myself. Uh, right. Um, yeah, and then after almost a year of that, I discovered there was mold in the house I was living in. I just started kind of looking around and like pulled out a drawer where you could see down into the... Uh, it was a raised foundation. You could see down into the dirt down below. And I just okay. shone a flashlight down there and it's white. And this, you know, this alarm oh. goes off. It's like, oh, there is mold in this house. You oh, know, we, shit. I had looked for it and like mold tested and everything. And those little mold test kits, they, they don't work, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, we, we had a guy come and look with his mold test kits. And he's like, yeah, there's no mold in this house. And I, I shone a flashlight down in that cupboard. And I'm like, what's that? And you can see mold, you know, it's copious mold growing on the ground. He's like, I couldn't tell you what that is. And, and oh. then leaves. Um, <laughs> what an so, asshole. Yeah, we like, <laughs> we went through this mold remediation process while I was not living inside the house, got all the mold out um, and learned that you could test the air with a uh, test of air for VOCs instead of testing with those mold kits. And that actually worked better um, inside the house was okay, but I was still getting sick. So we had them check outside the house because my next door neighbor's house was absolutely falling apart. 
And there was a huge amount of mold spores in the air outside, uh, in the driveway between my house and theirs. So it's just like, there's nothing I can do about their house. And I got to get out of this environment. So I moved to Seattle. Just like went on a road trip with with my ex and we checked out all the cities up and down the coast. uh, And I fell in love with Seattle instantly, moved up here. Um, And I got like... 80% 80% of the way better after getting out of that moldy environment. Um, and I know moving to Seattle sounds counterintuitive if you're uh, right. mold sensitive, but uh, it's actually um, better up here because they get so much rain. And I'm, I'm still up here, you know, 13 years later. We get right. so much rain up here that they build buildings uh, with good weather stripping, like up on concrete raised foundations, um, you know, like over a parking garage or something in an apartment building. It's very unlikely to get mold in that environment. Um, Not only that, but the massive amount of of humidity and rain and stuff settles all the spores that are airborne. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, In San Diego, we get those Santa Ana winds that like mold spores coming in from the desert and people have gotten like fungal infections in their brains and died from the wind in in San Diego. Holy shit. According to my doctor in San Diego, I have not not fact checked that. Um, But that's why he was on board with me moving to the Northwest, you know. Um, so I came up here, I got like 80% of the way better, um, never got all the way back to where I used to be, was still having chronic pain, like in my right temple and right foot, sometimes difficulty walking. I had to manage my energy levels. If I was, you know, too, if I worked too hard or exercised too much or ate the wrong thing, I would flare up. And it's so funny because those are triggers for mast cell activation syndrome, like uh, too much exercise, eating the wrong foods, uh, and too much like, you know, like working yourself too hard, too much anxiety, too much stress, too much, uh, you know, like the, the nine to five that we're all expected to do. I just couldn't do that. So I was working four days a week and then I was playing in bands, making podcasts, making music, just having the time of my life, you know, it was just really, really great years until, oh, and during that time I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia by a doctor at the UW Headache Clinic, University of Washington Headache Clinic. Uh-huh. And for a while, we thought that was kind of the answer, you know, because the, the issues with the mold, you know, I could never really pin it down to just that. Doctors are like, okay, these weird neurological symptoms, this doesn't quite match up. I think something else is going on. I moved out to Seattle where I wasn't around the mold anymore, wasn't getting better. And that was evidence that there was something more going on. So they diagnosed me with fibromyalgia. And for years, I thought that was the answer. Yeah. Um, but then I got way, way, way worse uh, a few years later. Like when my my big flare up, my six year long flare up started, and I was working as a leasing agent at the time, and just like couldn't anymore, couldn't make it to work. I remember one day, like th- this is the most vivid of the bad days for some reason. I don't even know why, um, but I would take the bus home from work, and then I'd walk up Capitol Hill to my apartment, and I just remember you know dragging my foot, and it was so painful to walk. Um, so then I started taking a second bus up the hill, and then just walking like two blocks to my apartment. And then those two blocks felt like miles. You know, like in a movie when you're in a hallway and it like zooms in, but zooms out at the same time. And yeah, like the hallway yeah. stretches out. I would be yeah, like, like looking... Those, like those dreams you have when, yeah. when you're like trying to run and you're like stuck in like yeah. melted cheese or marshmallows <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, like I was looking down at my feet just trying to make and sure I was pain. walking. And super painful. And then I would oh. look up and, and the, the block was like 
how is this block longer than it was the last time I looked up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I like can't cook for myself because I'm too, too tired. So I, there's a restaurant right where the bus lets off. I, I call ahead, I order some takeout and I'm just in panic mode. I just have to get home. My body is collapsing. I'm starting to twitch and I'm like starting to, it feels like I'm about to pass out. I go to pick up this food. I shuffle two blocks home to my apartment. Um, and I have to like let my dog out to pee because it's been, you know, all day that I've been at work. And I come in to eat this food and I'm just done. You know, like there's there's no more walking for me that day. And I open up the food and they, I, it was a, a Vietnamese restaurant. I got a vermicelli bowl and they forgot to put in the sauce. So I just have, <laughs> I just have like dry noodles and lettuce and like dry shrimp. Ugh. Like a vermicelli bowl is all about the sauce. Right. And I couldn't get back to the restaurant. Like that two blocks was so much further than I could make it. So I'm just like dumping some olive oil and vinegar on it and, and like forcing it down. Oh, um, man. And I was so mad. I was so mad. That's like one of the most angry moments I've had through this whole thing of just like, I've, I've done everything that I can to get myself home and fed. And this like external thing is preventing me from even having comfortable, good food when I really needed it. And for some reason that just like really sticks out to me, but I stopped going to work very shortly after that because I couldn't make it back um, and went back into the diagnostic process all over again, um, was misdiagnosed with Lyme disease and we treated me with for Lyme disease for over a year with two different antibiotics daily for over a year. Just got oh, worse and worse. Went into a naturopath who um, specialized in Lyme, according to the internet. Don't trust the internet, people. Um, <laughs> went, went to this naturopath and he led me down this whole, I mean, really interesting, but in hindsight, extremely harmful, detrimental thing um, where he would use what's called muscle testing to uh, have you heard of this before, Micah? Muscle no, testing? No, no, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, so it's it sounds it sounds like uh, very sort of you know woo woo medicine um, where you kind of like the way he would do it is I'd lie on my back, put my arms straight up in the air, and he would have samples of all these different fungi and bacteria and viruses in little vials, and he would uh, basically like make a sort of like a bioelectric circuit with my body and this uh, substance and like try to push on my arm. So he'd just like hold this substance near me um, and I'm, you know, like on this table or whatever. And he pushes on my arm. And if I lose strength, that means that I'm reacting to that substance. Um, oh. And, and uh, this is something that I had heard of in childhood. Um, you know, my parents were hippies and, we're very much into like spirituality and energy and stuff like that. So it, this appealed to a part of me. And he talked to me about how scientific it was and how there's all this research being done about it. And he was recommended to me by someone who was in the chronic illness world. And another doctor that I had seen had recommended that I go to a clinic nearby where they were using muscle testing. And it was sort of like this new wave cutting edge thing for Lyme disease people. And, uh, so I, I, I bought into it at first and yeah. I spent almost two years seeing this guy and it was massively expensive. And at this oh, point I'd started seeing my, my partner, Andy, who I'm still with my amazing uh, partner who's like seen me through so much and I'm just eternally grateful. And I was so lucky that she was able to 
help support me in this time. Otherwise, I would have, you know, moved home to live with my parents. Um, And which I'm so grateful to have that option, you know, like that's an incredible option to have. And I would have taken taken them up on that if I had not been, you know, seeing someone here in Seattle who was able to keep me here in Seattle. And I was just talking to my my sister recently said that she she would have been willing to take me in too, which is like so incredibly touching, you know? And I just, I I recognize now the luck of having those things because a lot of people that I talk to on the podcast don't. You know, you're going through these things. It's like, you're telling me I have to lose my home because of my illness and uh-huh. um, not recognizing and not approaching it with the gratitude of I'm so grateful that there are people willing to take me in. Anyway. Um, but, the, so but, doing- but you're in panic mode by that time. Oh, sure. I, I know yeah. what you mean because I, same thing happened to me after my br- full breakthrough. And we talked about this on on Major Pain. I lost everything. Yeah. You know, I was in between um, going from a... Um, company insurance from my former job i had yet to get the personal insurance and it just hit at that time so the medical bills buried me i couldn't live alone anymore because of the status epilepticus the massive amount of seizures i was having yeah and so you're absolutely right and i'm I'm sorry about dwelling on this for a second but a lot of people out there have those feelings too it comes with a lot of shame and it comes with Mm. a lot of of um, boy, your self-esteem is just just hitting the bottom of the tank at that point. But you're right. Having people who love you and are willing to take you in. I had friends, a couple of friends in Arvada that took care of me. Um, and then when the p- pandemic hit, my folks were able to, hey, come up to the property and stay with us while you go through this. Uh, and so in that sense, you and I are very, very lucky. And yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm so grateful for it. Anyway, that I had to I had to comment on that because Yeah, well it takes years to reach that point of gratitude because yeah. in my experience the anger, the frustration, the why me thoughts, the you know, I I I'm happy, I'm healthy, relatively healthy and I have all these things in my life that I'm so excited about and then they're all gone and you have to like wrestle with self and figure out who you are. On top of that, while seeing a naturopath who is, you know, he was feeding me all this stuff about like, I'm the only one who can, who can understand what's going on with you. And, and it, it made sense to me because doctors had never figured me out by that point. He's like, I'm the only one who, who understands people like you and patients like you. I can help you. I will make you, you know, your old self again. He was like telling me these things and I was just getting worse and worse under his care and after a while, I started pushing him a little bit and saying, hey, this doesn't feel like it's working to me, you know? Um, like the first six months, I felt like I was making some improvement, but then I just got worse and worse and worse and worse after that. And looking back, it's because like he was giving me all these different supplements and it was changing every month. And I, I now have gone through all, everything I take and removed anything that has high histamine because, uh-huh. and that's made like this massive difference. To, to not eat high histamine foods, but also to check every supplement and make sure it's not high histamine. And he wasn't doing that, you know? He's just using his intuition, basically, to try to diagnose me and treat me using this muscle testing to guide him. And, uh, and it's, it just didn't work, you know? And so after almost two years of this, I, I was kind of pushing him on it. And he said, well, I have to make you worse before you're going to get better. This is your body shedding all of these things. And you're what? almost there. He's like, you're almost there. You're going to hit this, this, uh, the crest of this hill and then just start rolling down the hill and you'll be better and better and better. 
And I forced him to like lay out a timeline, tell me exactly what we needed to get through. And one of the last things was he wanted me to nebulize this formula into my nasal cavity. I had to buy like a pediatric nasal nebulizer, which is something I didn't even know existed. (laughs) And I developed this like feeling in the back of my throat, like something was stuck, um, which I now know to be inflammation. I I developed like chronic inflammation in my sinuses. And, you know, I'm a musician. I was playing in bands before my flare up. And obviously I had been barely doing any music since then, but, but this took away my ability to sing um, because (gasps) it was like so swollen and oh, shit. I went back to him. I'm like, this is not working. I'm getting worse and worse. We are through the point where you said that I'd be better. And then he just like laid on all this stuff about what he was going to do next. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I, I think we got to go deeper. I've been doing some research. And he was talking about like drilling a hole in my sinus cavity to let blood out. And I was like, we're done. You know, like Whoa. we're through. You yeah. don't know what you're doing. And it took me almost two years to realize that. And that was like deeply traumatic for me, you know, to go through this thing where I put my trust in something that felt right to me and mm-hmm. was extremely harmful and, and a person that felt trustworthy to me who I don't think really had, has any right to be treating patients like me, you know? Maybe he's yeah. helped other people, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was like deeply, deeply disturbing. Um, and I went to him because I was done with like the traditional medical establishment. I'd been through every specialist multiple times and they're all throwing their hands up in the air saying, I have no idea. So I was just done with that too. You know, that's not helpful. I I saw everyone there was to see at Pacific Medical Center here in Seattle. My own primary care doctor was like, I'm out of ideas for you. I'd like to send you to another primary care. And I'm like, this is the worst, you know, like someone please help me. And this naturopath is willing to. So, so I go down that road and then that doesn't work. And I'm just kind of spinning out. Um, but a lot of people had told me that they'd had good experiences at teaching hospitals, particularly the University of Washington Medical Center, which is right here in Seattle. Okay. So I started over uh, at a new medical center after doing this for years, have gone through like full, um, full diagnostics in my early 20s and then again in my 30s, starting over again within this same flare-up. And the very first appointment I had was with the guy who's still my primary care to this day. Uh, he's a nurse practitioner, um, which... I, I was a little hesitant to, to sign up for a doc primary care with a nurse practitioner, but he's insanely good. He's just like, I have no idea what's wrong with you, but I believe you and we are going, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to keep knocking down doors until we can figure out what's going on. And that's what he did. You know, he just kept knocking down doors, but still we didn't make any progress for years, years of like seeing neurologists. And I, I tried like acupuncture and, you know, just trying all sorts of different stuff. Uh, and then uh, my primary care was out of town one day. And I went in to see another guy in his office because I was having a problem. I don't even remember what it was at the time. Um, I'm always having problems. you know. <laughs> um, so I, I went in to see this other guy and he's just like, I have no idea. You know, I have no idea what's wrong with you. But at the end of the conversation, he said, you know what? There's another doctor in our clinic who really likes mystery cases. Do you have any interest in seeing her? And I was like, yes, I have interest in seeing her. Like, yeah, I absolutely give, do. Yeah, give me, give me the mystery crew. Give me, give yeah. me, give me Scooby Doo and, and the gang. Yeah, exactly. Like, give me like <laughs> the Doctor House that you've got. And Doctor House, by the way, you know, diagnostician—that's not a real thing. Um, there, there's no like person that you go to for mystery illnesses. Believe me, I've looked. The closest, <laughs> the closest that exists is the Mayo Clinic, where they will get a team together 
uh, to kind of try to figure you out. But they, I, I applied and they rejected me because I, I wasn't noticeably dying. Like you have to be kind of on death's door. Okay. Um, I felt like I was dying. You know, I felt like we started to wonder if I was dying. Like I was losing so much functionality and, you know, things were just kind of slowing down. I kind of felt like my life was wrapping up. You know, I really had this yeah. feeling for like a couple of years, like I might be near the end. So I go to see this doctor who likes mystery illness. She took, I, I can't remember exactly now. I think it was like six... No, no, it was more than that. It was 60 tests and like 15 vials of blood before the first appointment. All things I'd never been tested for. Um, uh-huh. And she found a couple things very slightly off, but mostly everything normal. I did test positive for something called cystocercosis, which is a parasitic infection that would explain everything. But it didn't quite make sense. And we went, I talked to infectious disease and they ran some follow-up tests and it was a false positive. So we Uh had this moment of like, oh my God, we found it, but it wasn't it. Um, But the only thing that was like way off in my testing was she ran just like a regular allergy panel for Northwest allergens. And a few of them were just like way off the scale, like really, really really high. But I wasn't having allergy issues. And you know, when I was a kid with the mold stuff, we thought it was allergy related. I had gone through allergy shots. None of it had helped. Um, I'd seen a bunch of allergists and none of them were able to do anything that worked for me. Um, so we kind of moved on from that hypothesis. Yeah. So I go to see this allergist up here. And in preparation for that, I start doing some research. I had spoken to someone on the podcast who has histamine intolerance, which is the inability to break down histamine. Because I, I started the podcast in the midst of this time where I was um, at UW Medicine. Okay. Um, just because like I, I needed to give myself something to make that would feel good, that felt yeah. useful, you know? Yeah. Um, you get that. I know you get that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, we are inside of your version of that right now. So, <laughs> yeah, so I learned about histamine intolerance, and I started eating a low histamine diet to see if it would help, and I started to get a little better. And I've tried every diet under the sun, you know, I've the elimination diet, keto. Um, I was on a low copper diet for a while because they, we thought I might have Wilson's disease, which is a genetic disorder that builds up copper in your body, but that t- ended up being... Uh, not a thing. Not, yeah, I, I had to get a, a a liver biopsy to figure out that that wasn't what it was. Wow. Yeah, and that I was seeing a hepatologist, which is a I think liver liver and and kidney doctor. No, maybe just liver doctor. I don't remember. Okay. Um, I think a nephrologist is a kidney doctor. Gotcha. But, gotcha. Well, they're yeah. so they they're almost interconnected function. Like yeah. Function. Yeah. Th- those two organs are so closely aligned with what they do. I could see either one specialist being able to work with both yeah. organs. Well, yeah. with, uh, with Wilson's disease, it will build up copper in your liver. So I was seeing a hepatologist. She actually made a mistake on the calculations of figuring out how much copper was in my body and really made me think that I had that disease for, for, just for a hot second. Oh, God. Um, but it ended up just like the calculation she made that was a point of evidence in favor of it was wrong. So there was only, so there was no like real tangible points of evidence besides my symptoms. But anyway, so my allergy test was off. I go on the low histamine diet, start to feel better. Um, you know, with, with the knowledge that so many things I've done in the past have worked short term, but not long term. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll switch to the keto diet and I'll feel better for a month or two and then I'll go back to how I was. Then I'll go off the keto diet and I'll feel better for a month or two and go back to how I was. So I always suspected something dietary, but I couldn't figure out what. And yeah. this low histamine thing, like 
there's no way to eat low histamine unless you're actively trying to because it's histamine is in all food and it's just like you have to eat low histamine foods um anything so, anything aged like no alcohol okay. no fermented foods at all um if you have meat it has to be very fresh oh my you can't God. have no ground meat because histamine will grow on the surface of meat if you grind it up um so like when i buy meat i freeze it immediately and then defrost it as i'm cooking uh, wow. specific things like spinach and avocado you have to avoid um so oh, a avocados? lot of yeah yeah a lot of oh. types of mushrooms no vinegar so i'm left with like fresh fruit fresh vegetables um oils are okay white distilled vinegar is the only safe acid um i can have a little bit uh like no citrus but i can have like a little oh. bit of lemon or a little bit of lime it's all about just moderating that histamine level yeah um, yeah yeah no chocolate no coffee no tea it's wild. It's like really, really restrictive. But I started feeling better. And then the stricter I got, you know, at first I kept eating chocolate because I needed it. But then, <laughs> but then the stricter I got, the better I felt. So I go in to see this allergist for the first time and I tell him all of this. And he's like, well, based off of your history and what you've told me about your symptoms, this does not sound like histamine intolerance, but it could be mast cell activation syndrome. So we're going to try all these medications and uh-huh. uh, and see if they work. And I had started to do better at that point. But then when I started on the medications for, for MCAS, I got way worse. Um, <gasps> but then slowly started to get better as I ramped up the dosage of the medications. It's like my body needed to adapt to it. Okay. These medications yeah. are all about blocking the release of histamine and stabilizing your mast cells. Um, so I'm taking like chromalin sodium, uh, ketodafen, which is a H1 blocker. Histamine is like H1 or H2. Pepsid, um, famotidine, just Pepsid is an H2 blocker. Um, so wow. I'm taking that. I'm taking Allegra, really high dose of Allegra, which is also an H1 blocker. Um, I'm taking a couple natural supplements, a couple anti-inflammatory ones, and then uh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, there's a natural um, quercetin. Quercetin is like a natural mast cell stabilizer. And then the low histamine diet. And I'm taking medication, you know, I have a pill thing for three times a day. And then I have other pills the, the, uh, that are outside of that timing. And then the chromalin sodium is four times a day. So I'm taking medication like all day. Yeah. Um, you, got a, you got a suitcase. It's like yeah. rock and roll doctor. <laughs> You're on the air. Yeah. yeah. But, but then I just shot up. Like everything just shot up. Uh, every symptom got better. Um, you know, my my ability to think straight got better. I, I wouldn't have taken you up on this opportunity to come on this podcast a year ago because I, I was having such a hard time um, telling my own story. Like when I did it on my own yeah. podcast, it was like deeply difficult. For the very first episode, I sat down with my partner, Andy, and recorded a podcast about my story, just kind of introduce myself. And I had to do the whole thing twice because the first time I had such a hard time Wow. Um, but the second time I got, I got a relatively good day and was able to do it, but I, I haven't been able to schedule anything, you know, like I never know when I'm going to be feeling well enough to do anything. So oh, when God, I was yes. like scheduling yeah. podcasts, like rescheduling constantly. And I was like, whether or not I'm making it to a family function is like a 50, 50, maybe even like a 30 or 40% chance that I'd make it to things. And right. now I'm doing like so much, you know, I'm doing so much stuff. I just, I, I've shot back up. My partner Andy and I are moving to a new house and I have been um, like refinishing some of the wood, which I had no idea how to do, but I've like 
taught myself and just trial and error. And I'm over there working hard with a electric sander and I like started pruning all the bushes and stuff. And I'm like, who am I now? You know, I, I, I <laughs> do I recognize myself? What, yeah. What, what? Yeah. And it's but in very, a good way. Yeah. Very sudden. I, I haven't used the wheelchair in about almost two months now. Um, the last time I used it was when we went to Disneyland. Cause there was, you know, like a few days of like serious walking. I would never have been able to make it. Um, I'm scared to go to places like that <laughs> with with my stuff. Crowds are a huge trigger, which sucks because I used to be an MC for live yeah. events. I think I could still do it, probably get on stage because you you got a dedicated distance. But my God, I could I could not imagine uh, uh, Disney Disneyland, especially if you don't know how long your legs are going to be underneath you. Yeah. 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 But that, I mean, that brings me back to the, how much I loved my wheelchair. Just like, I started using a cane a few years before that. And that was very emotionally difficult, you know, Mm -hmm. to be like a, like 36 ish, 35, maybe at the time, 35 year old man who needs a cane, who like walking my dog was as, as far as I could go. And I needed the cane to do it. Um, was really hard to admit to myself that I needed it. But then I right. got it and it was like, oh man, well, that really helps. That's worth having. <laughs> what and, was I thinking? Yeah. 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 So that that made it easier actually to get a wheelchair. And that was just like night and day difference where I wasn't getting really any exercise at all. Um, like my, my dog passed away at 17 years old. And that's old. That's old. He made it a good yeah. long while. Um, nice. But then I wasn't walking that little bit that I've been doing anymore. And, um, but when I got a wheelchair, I was like going for, you know, just like going for a roll just out in the sun, just to get outside. And that was so healing for me to be able to do that under my own power. And I started to get buff and that felt kind of nice, you know, it's like work, work some muscles. Um, and also it really helped diagnostically. Like people took me a lot more seriously and I, I would, I had really declined. Like my muscle spasming was happening most of the time where, Mm -hmm you know, it almost looked like I had Parkinson's or something where I couldn't stop shaking. Um, uh, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't like all day, every day. Um, but they call it like myoclonic jerks, I think yes. like in my, in my chest, yep. uh, but also like my hands would shake and my legs would twitch. It was just like kind of random movements all over, you know? Um, and now that happens if I eat, if I cheat on the diet and eat high histamine foods, a few hours later, I will have a crash, a flare-up where some of those things will happen, like my legs will give out. Um, uh-huh. If I don't get enough sleep, if I do too much exercise. But that the line of like too much exercise is moving rapidly because I've just been able to start really exercising again. Okay. And, yeah. You're, so you're, you're, you're building a body tolerance to this reaction against. So it's like a little bit more each day can help. And but if you went and ran a marathon, would would that like trigger probably? Or? Oh yeah, I would I would collapse and start twitching in the middle of the road. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm being very careful. Like you know, I'll go for a short jog, and then often you know, the first few times that you know, a couple hours later, I, I'm having a spasming fit. And I try to explain this stuff to doctors. It's like, yeah, I feel really sick after exercise. I'm like, well, you're just getting sore muscles from exercising. I'm like, I really don't think that's what it is. You know, <laughs> I, I know what that feels like. And this is not that. Um, but yeah, so now I, 
if we're on the right track, then we're stabilizing my mast cells, which is allowing me to build a tolerance, like you said. Um, and, and not just that, but my body is like really deconditioned um, from yeah. six years of inactivity. Yeah. But o- over those six years, my life changed so dramatically. You know, I got really into content creation. I, I was already playing shows and like making a podcast, but um, I started like game streaming for a while until I got too sick to do that. Or I was like playing Mario Maker or Zelda Breath of the Wild live on the internet and people were watching me and sometimes they'd donate money and that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> Getting cool. paid to play some video games. Um, and, uh, but eventually like everything I was doing kind of wound down to a stop because I didn't have the energy. You know, like right. game streaming, I needed energy to go live. And I was having some bad streams where I was starting to twitch and it just like wasn't feeling good. I was making a sci-fi podcast, but like the energy I needed to sustain that was was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, barely making any music anymore because my body was in so much pain and it hurt to make music. And then my sinuses were so swollen. And that's gotten better. I've started singing again recently. Oh, so, nice. But it was years, years of my sinuses being clogged, um, feeling like there was something I couldn't swallow, but it was just inflammation, we think now. Because um, like mast cells absolutely affect your sinuses. Uh-huh. And yeah, so I, I, and there's this period where I thought that I was like maybe on the way out. And I started to ask myself, like, what do I want to leave behind? What do I want to make that f- doesn't matter how many people view it or hear it? Doesn't matter if I make money. Uh, something that feels important to me that I would want to build a career out of if I could. But if I, if I can just, do it. The doing it is the thing, you know? Mm. And that's, that's yes. really where Major Pain came from. Okay. Like, I had two different answers to that question. One of them was the Major Pain podcast. And the other was, um, I have been green screening myself into every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> I saw one of those. <laughs> I loved that. The, the one where Worf is offering his services to help play bass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the one I saw. Okay, good. Um, that's a good one. That's a good I one. loved it. It was great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's really dumb, but I love it. And I post them on TikTok. And I've, like, I had one hit a million views. You know, I, I, wow. There's like, it's it's the first thing I've made where there seems to be like more broad appeal, mm-hmm. um, but even so, the the podcast is the most deeply satisfying thing I've ever made. You right, know? and I it, it's it's hard to compare it to making music because music is my ultimate expression. I have an album of sci fi synth pop music that's the thing I'm I've made that I love the most that I'm most proud uh-huh. of. But it's a different type of pride, you know. I can say the same thing about both of these projects that they are the thing I'm most proud of because it's really a different type of pride. Where like with yes. with the podcast, it's the only thing I've ever made that helps other people, and and also has helped me so tremendously. You know, all the clues that I got from the podcast that I took to my doctors are are really what steered us in the right direction. I first heard of mast cell activation syndrome from the podcast. And, you know, I, I have to always say I could still be totally wrong. It might be something totally different and we'll find that out. But right now it's the treatment's working. So I don't care. It's um, the closest to the target that you've experienced so far. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so inside of that, it's like, if what, what, what do I really want out of life as a content creator? Like, what do I really want to make? And I was very deliberate and slow with getting the podcast together. It took me a long time to launch it. The idea came from uh, during my sci-fi show. 
Um, I did an episode about my health. It was called Maybe He's Born With It, Maybe It's Lyme Disease. It was a two-part <laughs> two episode um, where I had been kind of hiding my health problems from my podcast. It was uh-huh. called uh, Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. And I was getting to the point where it was really affecting the show, how sick I was. So I did a two-part episode about it, told my whole history at the point where I had just been diagnosed with Lyme disease, which of course ended up being a misdiagnosis. Um, but I was used to hearing from like a couple of people once every couple months that liked the podcast. And I got like 10 or 15 emails after making that podcast of people saying like, this really impacted me, you know, like this one person said, my brother has Lyme disease and he's really withdrawn from the family. And I never understood what was going on with him. And I've just been mad until I read your or listened to your podcast. And now I understand a little bit of, of what he's going through. And it really changed my perception of my brother. And and I'm like, wow, there's some real potential to do some real good here, you know, to like really help people to not feel alone the way that I had yeah. felt throughout all of this. And that idea just kicked around in my brain for a few years, about three years, I would say, until I finally started the show. Um, and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm going to hit two years of the podcast going in just a couple months here. Nice. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Like last last year, we were in the top ten percent most shared podcasts on Spotify, which was wow. very exciting. Yeah, and that top, is really top exciting. Fifteen percent most followed podcasts on Spotify. Although there are billions of podcasts, and most of them get no listens. So <laughs> <laughs> having anyone listen to your show, you can get get you can get there relatively quickly. I think I don't know, but um, but I'm like deeply proud of the audience that we've built and I just I just think it's a fascinating show you know like your episode was fantastic like you you totally blew my mind with your uh with your RNS device um oh, there was man. responsive neurostimulator I'd never heard of anything like that and getting to hear your story about you know your diagnostic process and you like getting this device implanted in your brain that's making you feel better I I'm so interested in stories like that and because before my story took this turn, that's kind of the fuel that I needed. Like hearing other people going through things where it looked like there was no hope, but then something right. better happened. Um, and yeah. and or even on the other side of that, for me, like my journey was all about feeling like, like accepting the possibility that things might not get better, but then learning to be happy as I was. Like learning to be happy sick, getting a yeah. wheelchair, starting a podcast, you know, restructuring my life, my energy output, the way I thought about my body and my life and my future to really live for the present and try to have each day be as good as possible. Accept those moments when my body's not working, just lie down, watch some TV, be okay. Um, But then when I feel good, put my energy and time and passion into something that matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And I became that's so much listening happier. listening to your body. Yeah, that's yeah. Li- that's really being present, not only with your surroundings, but with yourself. Yeah. 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 No, and I feel... No guilt there. I feel happier now. I felt happier in the last couple of years of my flare-up, I think, than I'd ever been. You know, part of that is wow. my amazing partner. Um, mm-hmm. and But a huge part of that was learning to live in the moment. Because before that, I was always like future tripping about my band is going to be huge. We're going to go on tour. It's going to be so great. And, you know, when those things don't happen, it's you become desperate for them to happen. And then 
illness strikes and it's like, okay, well now I can't do anything, let alone these dreams. And that got like really depressing. Uh, Mm -hmm. But switching gears, changing lanes, finding something that worked for my body that was rewarding that I never would have expected doing brought me so much joy. Um, And like, I finally was able to be in a a good relationship because I learned how to be in the moment and be in the present with the person I was dating. Um, So, and now it's like, now I don't even know what to do with myself. Like now I'm feeling better and I've learned all these lessons. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm going to become this new person. I'm never going to go back to the way I used to. Like that was always my goal. Go back to how, what I used to be. And I've learned right. that that's not really the right goal to have. The goal is to like figure out who you're going to be in the future, integrating all these things that you've experienced. And if, if something changes in your health for better or for worse, that's going to happen either way. You're going to have to reintegrate either way. Um, so I'm in that process now. It's like a weird moment in my life now where I'm kind of really coming to terms with the fact that I've been functional multiple days in a row doing stuff all day. Like that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's so many parallels. I, I mean, and it, it inspires me. It really does inspire me because I go through my own stuff, you know, with the RNS implant and everything. Um, physical, the physicality of it is getting better. Um, yet I didn't prepare myself to deal with the inevitable trauma and PTSD and everything and the self-esteem issues that have come from this. Um, but your mention of living in the present, being present, you got to get that self-esteem, self-integrity and love of yourself back before you can go out and do and have the things that you want because who you are and how you represent yourself is going to be a, the main determining factor of what you do and what then in essence you have. And it sounds to me like this diagnosis, recent diagnosis um, and discovery, let's, let's say discovery, is one of those little things that you had. And right before it though, this is this is what really interests me and, and really stuck in my mind with what you were saying is that right before all this happened, you were starting to learn how to be with yourself with the possibility of never getting better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of presence um, might have opened the door, right? Because you're not no longer coming from a place of, of self-abuse or or the feeling of need. I need this. If you project that out into the universe, that's what the universe is going to give you. Oh, you need this, so we're going to make you needy for this. Mm. Um, if you approach it like, I already have this. I am being as if I already have it. The universe will give it to you. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of like yeah, that. It is, it is interesting because... Yeah, I mean, I've learned so many lessons from being so sick for so long. Like, patience is huge. Oh, God, yes. You know, having to just live in a body that's not working and panicking about why and learning how to quiet that voice that's panicking um, and just exist has been huge. Like, developing empathy for what other people are going through has been massive. Like, it's changed me in so many different ways. But it is really interesting that, like, I had to let go of what I wanted the most, which was answers. Uh-huh. Um, and that's when some started to trickle in. That is, that is really weird. I hadn't really thought about yeah. that, that it wasn't until I let go of that, that it started to happen a little bit. And I still feel a little nervous even speaking it out loud that it's happening because I still 
we don't have like, there's no test where we can just say, hey, this is it, you know? Um, yeah. Like there are tests that can do that, but they were all negative for me. And the, like testing for mast cell, like you have to test within 20 minutes of having a flare up or it, oh, will show, it won't show up on the test. That's why the testing is so tough. Um, yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, it takes yeah. me more than 20 minutes to drive to my doctor's. Yeah. You know, I'm an hour away from from my neurology team. So, yeah, taking a test that quickly after a flare-up, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't drive for years. I've been driving again. I drove from Portland to Seattle a couple weeks ago. Right fucking I, on. I, I didn't drive it almost at all for about six years. And all of a sudden, like, I'm running all these errands and doing so much. And, and I never thought I'd have gratitude to be able to drive myself to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It, so, so much of what everybody takes advantage of or, or takes for granted, I should say. So many people take for granted some of these small things that aren't really small for us because it, it's like a major definition of your self-independence, your self, self-worth and, and ability, you know? I mean, I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean because I just got my ability to drive back as well. And wow. for me, it was the first time in three and a half years. Um, so I, I completely feel you. Just being behind the wheel again, the joy of it. It's like, I don't care. Do I need to go to the DMV? Do I need to go to court? I don't care. Can I drive there? Yeah. Yeah. Like the fact that I'm enjoying like yard work is weird. I hated it when I was a kid. And now I'm excited to be moving to this place where I can take care of a yard. You know, yeah. just something that I can do with my body where I'm outside in the fresh air. You know, I, that, it just wasn't possible for so long. And you don't worry about falling. You don't worry about the collapse. You don't worry about, it's exactly like what I went through too. Couldn't get on ladders. I, I still can't, I'm still not supposed to operate like jackhammers or, or snowblowers. I don't know if I'll ever <laughs> run into the uh, reason to use a jackhammer, although I've always wanted to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, when you get isolated, because this isolate, these kind of things isolate you so dramatically. And when you become isolated from the quote unquote normal activities that so many people do, um, it makes you, of course, it makes you feel less. It makes you feel depressed. And um, a lot of it, and I'm taking a quick tangent here, but I, I do want to mention that a lot of the misdiagnoses they give you and a lot of the other stuff, uh, some doctors, they may be aware of it, but they just consciously ignore the fact that certain symptoms can be indicative of multiple different options of, yeah. you know, but everybody is so focused in their fucking wheelhouse that they, and they're so prideful in what they've done and so defensive about anybody stepping up and saying, no, I don't think that's it. Doctors, like you said, the gaslighting side of it. You know, they take on this paternal, well, I'm the doctor, I know what's best for you, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, when in fact, if they just talk to other specialists, they'd maybe realize that, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, so I think it's a sense of pride with them. And then on our end, as patients, we've been taught through the years that the doctor is this trustworthy source of of healing and of you know, they, they only want what's best for you. Mm -hmm. I learned real quick <laughs> since 2019. It's not always the case. 
Yeah. Uh, the doctors up in Glenwood almost killed me, you know, and they almost killed a couple of my other friends for, for different things. The neurology team up there was horrible. And I would have died if I stayed in Glenwood. I'm positive that that would have happened. Um, and when I got sent, and this is also that I just love the parallels of the story uh, between our stories, because uh, when I finally started getting answers was when I got referred to UC Health in Denver. And that is a learning uh, hospital. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. University of Colorado Health. And they happen to be one of the best in the country, let alone the world, with neurological stuff. And so if you let it happen, if you do not advocate for yourself, put your foot down and risk pissing off a few doctors, maybe some nurses, but most of the nurses are really cool. Um, then you're going to be gaslit. You're going to be taken for a ride. I'd still be on a bunch of nasty, awful drugs if I just took at face value what these medical teams were telling me. So I, I love your story, man. Oh, I love you. your story. And yeah, yeah. It's it's like talking to a, a doppelganger image of myself in, in some senses, you know? Yeah. I also sang. I was a singer for a long time, all from high school all the way through college up into, you know, after college, I sang in a few bands here and there. Um, one of my favorites was a band called Jesus Knievel. Oh, we had fun. <laughs> we had fun. What what uh what's your range? You barit you're a baritone. Tenor. You're a baritone tenor? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's You're changed not a, a little tenor. bit. It's it's okay. gotten deeper than it used gotcha. to be. Because I you know, and I'm also still kind of figuring it out again. Like I, I'm unfamiliar with my body now. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't sing for six for not for six years. I didn't sing for like three years and then barely sang for the three years before that. And before that I was like playing shows and stuff and um yeah. singing a ton. But yeah, like some of the notes that used to be kind of doable or not as doable anymore. My my voice has definitely gotten a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, but well, then, that's age too. Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. Yeah, I'm but almost were there ever any times where you felt either through the condition or through the drugs they give you, because it could happen either way, that that's what got your voice a little tweaked out? Or was it more just the fatigue and no, I, the inflammation? I'm, it was that nasal nebulizer formula that my okay. naturopath gave me. That's when it started. I, I would have really been tempted to punch that guy in the face. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that's a weird one. Like that's really haunted me a little bit. That mm -hmm. whole couple of years spent with that guy. Um, I've been kind of waiting to get a firm diagnosis to then send him an email and said, hey, you had no idea what was wrong with me. And you pretended you did. And you used a lot of scientific language around something that was not scientific to sort of, oh, I, what's, what's, what's the right word? Take advantage of your vulnerability exploit yeah. your uh, your vulnerability yeah 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 it's almost like he programmed me to believe what he was believing mm -hmm. and but i think but i don't know what the truth is like i don't know i i doubt that he did this maliciously i don't think that he's like setting out to you know harm i think that he really believes what he's doing all sorts yeah. of people in the world believe all sorts of different things and i really think that he believes in this and it sounds like he might have had a weird uh, mystery illness that he cured himself of or was cured of with this technique. And there's, a, I mean, I did a bunch of research and there's a lot of people out there talking about muscle testing and about how it 
could be like the next wave of diagnostics. But there's a lot of articles about there about a lot of crazy things that are not based in reality. So you right. can kind of find anything these days and research it and find that it's good and that it's bad. You can find that something works and that it doesn't. You find that something is true and that it is false, you know? Like, that's the problem with the internet is that anyone can post anything on there. And, you know, after what we've been through politically in the last four years, people don't trust the news the way they used to. And people are just kind of discarding truth as not not being interested in that truth and picking up other truths that they're more interested in and just believing them to be true. So it's impossible to know where someone else is coming from. But the, the only thing that really matters is like, what works? You know, if you're right. sick, what helps? And that's where I'm at now, where I have a team of doctors around me that are amazing. And after everything I've experienced with, with doctors, both some horrible, mostly just kind of mediocre. And when mm-hmm. you need help, having a mediocre doctor is awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was told at one point that I might have a new disease. I might have something that wasn't cataloged by medical science. I saw wow. a neurologist who was trained at the Mayo Clinic, who was very highly recommended to me, um, who did a workup and said he couldn't figure anything out and said that he thought that, he's like, I think there's something wrong here, but I think that it might not be diagnosable at all. And that's oh. part of like the transition into just learning to live with it. Is yeah. like, if I can have a better life with this, do I need to know what it is? You know, trying to let go mm. of that. Wow, that's a huge question right there. That's a huge question. I, I, I've gone through that before they found the source of my seizures. I was up in the air, like, what's going on, and and am I just going to deal with it? Um, yeah, that's hard. That's yeah. really hard. Well, yeah. To me, the answer was, yeah, I do need to know what it is. But if I can't know, that doesn't mean that I can't still improve and can't find right. something that helps. Find, and, and, you know, improvement being like, I could sit up for three hours today instead of two hours. You know, like I, I, I was barely able to function. Making my podcast was so, so hard. I can um, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I do little bits of work at a time. And mm-hmm. over the course of a week, I'd get it done somehow. And that proved to me that I could do it. And then it would get easier because I would get better at it. And at a time in my life where I was losing so much... Kind Physic- of physically, mentally, skills, you know, writing up the descriptions for my podcast was like brutally difficult because it was oh, the brain, God, the brain fog was so intense. Um, right, right. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think that, um, and I, I, I have my thoughts about it, but do you think that uh, the podcast helped you with a sense of purpose and, oh, and yeah. paying forward? Do you think that's what um, maybe got you through it? Unquestionably, yeah, that was a huge part of it. I not only that, but it, it's a huge part of why I made medical progress, just because mm-hmm. I learned so much. But yeah, yeah, like give, giving my, I became fluent in the language that my doctors were speaking about these weird mystery illnesses. So you know, when mast cell activation syndrome was brought up, I'd already talked to someone who had it, um, a, a couple people who had it actually. So and and I never identified with them. This is the other weird thing is that. Uh, part of why it was so hard to get this far is that I'm not having the typical presentation. Um, so right. I was going to neurologists because I was having a neurological problem. But the only person who was able to help me was an allergist who knew 
that this one disease could have neurological uh, ramifications, not necessarily with most people, not necessarily with a majority of people, but possibly, and he was willing to try. And that was so rare, a doctor willing to try something, just give me the medication and see what happened. Amen. Yeah, that's that's where I've been with the last, like, last little while at University of Washington is it wasn't just him. It was this other, you know, diagnostician type doctor and my um, primary care doctor, all these people just willing to try stuff to see what would happen, to see if I would improve, to help rule things out, you know, at the the least and to make me feel better, you know, if, if we knock it out of the park and we just happen to. So like that, that's a process that makes sense in my situation, but doctors aren't willing to do it for most of the time because it's hard it's time consuming and Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of like thought and research and extra time on their part that they just don't have to spend yeah it's their it's their job but it's my life you know (laughs) great yes that's a great way to put it it's so true as much as you're like okay they're busy they're this they're that but you also got to say okay at some point and i think i think you explained it really well with this alternative guy too was that at some point you got to be like okay doc I know your intentions are good. I always try to assume positive intentions, but let's be honest, it's not working or it's not jiving. I need something else. I I fired one of my neurologists. It was just like, you know, you promised me you wouldn't put me on more seizure medications and then you tried to shill like a brand new seizure med on me that almost stopped my heart. Um, I respect you. And I appreciate the the help that you have been able to give me, but I need somebody else. I need someone who's not so drug focused. Um, and and real quick, um, before you go, oh, fuck my short term memory. What was I just going to say? <laughs> this happens to me all the time. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Oh my god. Well, and that that goes to the cognitive issues that we go through. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's drug induced. Sometimes it's it's the condition. Oftentimes it's both. And it's one of the biggest challenges I'm dealing with right now is the cognition side of it, uh, the mood side of it, because I had been so, you know this, you get so depressed for so long uh, and you you feel helpless. and, And so digging yourself out is key. And part of that is becoming present. Enjoy your moment and make the best out of what is around you in the in the now but at the same time don't stop dreaming yeah because that's what's going to put your brain into that into that i am being my potential you know what do i really want well let's daydream about that and get as specific and detailed as possible because that's just going to start riding those endorphins out and i think part of it is just the hope when you get when you get a doctor or a caregiver or a specialist that believes you, I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. Then yeah. all of a sudden it can turn. It, it turns something. You just reminded me of something so important and oh, a huge piece of, of why I got good results with doctors. If you're having episodes like seizures or twitches, spasms, anything physical that comes and goes, get a video and take it to your doctor. That yes. has been massive for me. Because I would show up and I'd seem relatively normal. Because, of course, you have a good day on the day you need to go to the doctor, right? Not all the time, mm-hmm. but sometimes I would. And you get 15 minutes of this person's time. You'll never see them again if you can't impress on them that you need their help. So first thing I do, I flip open this my phone and say, here, this is me on a bad day. And immediately I have their attention. 
Um, yes. You know, I, I got some really good videos on some really bad days when I couldn't stand, couldn't walk, was twi- twitching out of control, and it was insanely helpful. Hell yes. Hell yes. Good thinking. Good thinking. I'm <laughs> glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of just owning where you are right now, you know, because so many of us are so ashamed or we don't want to, you know, oh, I could never film myself. Well, guess what? That's going to get you so much further in yeah. your treatment with the, your doctors and your your treatment team. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, those things all take years to process through. Like this feeling of, you know, I'm declining. That makes me less of a, of a man, you know, or less of a person. I felt that for years. Mm-hmm. And until I finally let that go and said, who cares? I want to be happy. I want to enjoy my life. How can I do that? I can't yeah. control my health, but I can control the way that I approach my life. And I started to look at being happy as a practice, like yoga or like practicing your instrument or whatever, like playing the drums. You, you do it to get better. Happiness mm-hmm. is a skill. It does, it's, you know, when I was a kid, it's like, it's either going to happen or it's not. I'm either going to be happy in this moment or I'm not. And if I'm not happy in this moment, then this moment is disappointing. You know, like uh-huh. that was my, my mindset. Yeah. Um, but now it's like, I'm not happy in this moment. I'm going to work on that and find a way to be happier in this moment. And I don't have to be the best joy I've ever felt. I'm just going to try to, you know, turn the dial up one notch. If you do that enough, then you're body and your brain start to get better at it and then you can go up to the next notch um yeah so you know that sort of like conscious awareness of my mood and purposefully trying to raise it uh finding things to do like you know okay it's time to stop trying to fight against my body and work on this podcast time to lie down play a video game watch some tv um i couldn't read for a long time because of the the brain fog and the blurriness going on Uh But, uh, you know, just find something in this moment that makes me feel good and consciously do it, you know, and then try to raise that level up and then try to go back to something productive if I can. And it, it right. makes huge, huge difference. Oh, God, yes. Man, we, this is so great. Thank you so much for being here with us and, and sharing your story. And I just, I feel closer to you now even more than the yeah, last well, two conversations. There's just, this has been so fun. I, I felt yeah. that way last time because you told me your story. First, we just chatted like off mic, and then you told me your story, and now I get to tell you my story, and I feel like now we actually understand each other much better than before when we when we talked the first time. You know, we should oh, have, yeah. now we can just have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next time, next time, yeah, exactly. It's like the intros, the setting of of the the show has been set, and now it's time to ramp up to, you know, let's bring this forward from here. This, I've got some things uh, I want to talk. In fact. You might be able to help us. Me and a couple of other uh, cats from the support group. I do a show. We usually call it Random Fuster Cluckery, you know, and it's just talking as epileptics on just about anything. But the idea came up recently of having something like a regular thing. And I thought of game show, like a game show spoof, either a spoof off of Let's Make a Deal or NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or Family Feud, something like that. And just have have a blast with it. So this could be fun. And with your your knowledge of some of the video side, doing it on YouTube. Okay, so that, that I'm just throwing this out there. This is for our next conversation. Absolutely, but, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I once tried have, to make a game show type podcast called Sci Fi on Trial. I never quite I got saw it that. right. 
<laughs> I yeah, I tried a lot. I never quite quite got it right, but that instinct to like do a game show is one I definitely agree with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be fun. Yeah. It could just be yeah, fun. It be and fun. it's a great way to convey information. Totally. Uh, in a lighthearted way where nobody's going to like hit the depths of despair. It's like, <laughs> I yeah. can laugh at myself a little bit and the condition yeah, that, totally. that I've got. And, yeah. And I'd love to just chat again too. You know, I feel like... Oh, I, we will. I, I feel like we, have, we still have so much to talk about that we haven't even touched. Oh, God, yes. God, yes. We just, we just hit the surface on this one, man. Just... Yeah. Uh, just dipping the toe in the water. There's so much yeah. more to go. So before we roll, uh, real quick, you can find more of Jesse and uh, his podcast, Major Pain, on majorpainpodcast.com. And if you're interested in some of his content, which I highly recommend checking it out, it's pretty badass, uh, jessemercury.com. And I, I'm not going to spell it out for you. I will leave that in the description for everybody. Um, he's also got content on Bandcamp, on YouTube, on TikTok. So uh, I will add all that to this, the description of our episode so people can easily get there. And um, yeah, what's next for you before you wow. roll? I'm not talking about like today or yeah. you can go make a sandwich or anything. I, well, we know that's going to happen. I got a couple big things on my plate at the moment. One is, um, you know, my partner and I moving to this house. Mm-hmm. Um that's that's huge. That's taking up a lot of time. Um, there's something I'm working on that I'm I can't that you know about that I can't talk about yet publicly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I'm putting a lot of time into um, to see if I can make it happen at all. Because now I have all this energy. It's like I want to put it towards something. Right. Um, yeah. And Isn't that's that beautiful feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for sure. Yeah. The timing of between our. Yeah. It, it's, it was really close. It's like the yeah. universe like yes. gave us both our self-awareness <laughs> back or something. Yeah, totally. Which hopefully we'll talk about uh, publicly soon. But I'm, I'm working on that. I, I took some big steps yesterday. Um, yeah. And then for my, my project where I green screen myself into Star Trek, I know it sounds silly, but I am just like having the time of my life doing it. I, Star Trek Next Generation is my favorite show of all time. I've always wanted to be close to it somehow. And now I'm just uh-huh. like, well, I could just be in it. And I've turned it into like an absurdist comedy. I um, love it. And I'm in the midst of my season finale. You know, I green screened myself into every episode of season one. And then I made up my own finale where um, the first part is already out on TikTok, but it's like a time travel story. Oh, um, wow. working, it's, a, it's a big monster of an episode that I'm working on. When it's all done, it'll be up on YouTube as one piece or chopped up in little pieces on TikTok and also on Instagram. So that's what I was working on earlier today is uh, editing that. Yeah. And then I really want to get back to making some music. I, nice. I just, I miss it so much. I actually finished a song recently and, you know, I, I'm still figuring things out, you know? <laughs> I think that's beautiful, man. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. You never, even with the despair and, and with the really down moments, um, really at heart and in the core, you never, ever gave up hope. It sounds. Yeah. There were probably times you were pretty close. Like There was moments. Yeah, there's moments. Yeah, there's definitely moments in there. But I'd always come back around to I'd rather try and fail than not try. Um, Amen, dude. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, Micah, thank you so much for inviting me on to Seizure Salad. Best podcast name ever. (laughs) I'm (laughs) a little jealous. Such a great name. Um, But yeah, it's been a real joy to be here today. Thank you so much. Oh man, thank you, Jesse. I I I love our conversations, and I love the fact that you were able to get on today. And uh, I 
let's definitely plan on more of this. Let's and do it. Yeah. And we can I, even let's do let's do a session that we can that we can publish on both podcasts at the same time, something like that. Oh, wow, that's an interest, interesting. Like idea, you and I sure. co-host, and we bring somebody else on or something. So yeah, I've got. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah, yeah I got ideas. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love your podcast. I've been listening to it since we were introduced, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, Thank you, man. I, I, you know, a freewheeling podcast is where I. That was my first instinct of what I wanted to do as a podcaster, and it's. Still, that that's one of my favorite things to listen to. Is just you never know what's going to happen next. So, right, um, yeah. right. Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and that's kind of like the life of a, a person with epilepsy. You never know what's going to happen le- sure. next. You never know when your brain is going to power surge or short circuit. And so, the whole feel of Caesar salad is is indicative. It, it's I intended this to reflect on what's going on inside mm. my brain. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I'm there. Other times I'm off on 20 different tangents and can't keep the subject straight. Uh, but I do my best to make it entertaining and, and educating regardless. So, yeah, well, you're doing awesome yeah. work and I appreciate being a part of it. Thank you. I appreciate it too. And we will be doing some awesome work moving forward from here. Full Absolutely. show. Awesome. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Micah. Thank you, Jesse. Jesse Mercury from Major Pain, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I will send all the links in the uh, in the description. JesseMercury.com, MajorPainPodcast.com. And this guy's just badass. And if you want to see some of the uh, Star Trek episodes that he's green screened himself in, go to the Jesse Mercury website. <laughs> you won't be uh, disappointed. It's fucking great. I love it. So (laughs) we will catch you next time, man, real soon too, sooner than later. Uh, And you know, listener land out there, you know what to do. Drive fast, take chances, and unexpect the inspect. Unexpect the expected. Almost tripped over my words there. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget, it's all in your head. Jesse, be good to yourself. Namaste. You too. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, man. We'll be talking real soon, bro. This is to my sick kids. Time to flip this shit. Depakote, Adderall, Ritalin, Pixie Sticks. I don't give a fuck what you're riding to the setting sun. Use it as a weapon when it's said and done. It's all too much. Seizure Salad Fuster Clock Epilepticus is produced and hosted by Micah Ball. Original logo and graphic designed by Alba Lopez. The song Seizure Boy, courtesy of Watsky, and used with permission. Find more great music and poetry on his website, georgewatsky.com. Follow our podcast. Like our Facebook page. Whatever blows your hair back, just keep listening. And join us again soon for another episode of Seizure Salad. Until then, remember to unexpect the expected. It's all in your head. Take a minute to sit at the whip and then I'm gonna mash on gas. Cause I'll be crashing that impasse with that ass syntax. Skinny motherfucker off a bucket of slim fast.